But here I go. This is the tool for this Sunday. Uh, I have been using a different tool every uh, Sunday since we've been in the book of James, introducing uh, some way uh, to incorporate you with your contributions, and then some challenge for me to make it work with the text that I'm going to preach. This comes from, so I'll help you a little bit. This comes from Lori Howard, think kitchen tool versus nasal hair extractor or eyebrow or, you know, whatever they do that with eyelashes. So let me get, I have a picture here. This actually, I saw this last week when Brenda and I were running. Does that help you at all? This is our escargot tools or tongs. Yes. And I know many of you say, ooh, who would ever eat a snail? Well, <clears throat> they're pretty expensive. And um, some would even call it rich people's food. And we find comfort that we aren't, you know, eating snails. Therefore, we don't consider ourselves perhaps rich. And therefore, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 don't apply to me. It is one of the least preached passages in James. I know um, that commentators can't even agree whether it is directed to Christians. And as I have said throughout these, what, two months or so, two plus months, three, almost three months, I guess, that we've been on in the book of James, that this book was written to Christians, but yet it seems to be speaking to non-Christians. And if you want to think of it in the concept of proclamation of God's word, anytime God's word is proclaimed, it is spoken to both the saved and the lost. So for the faithful and the faltering or floundering, uh, this word is out there for all of us. Um, as you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me, please, to the fifth chapter of the book of James. I'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. And I would uh, remind you that uh, in this book, um, our faith is tested once again, because this has been our, my little motto or little mantra through this, that the book of James tests the validity of our faith because a living faith or a faith that works is doing something. It is alive. It is multiplying. Uh, we know that throughout the, this book it's talked about your faith and works. It's talked about how you control your mouth. And today it's talking a little bit about how you control your finances and the riches that God has blessed you with. In this particular six verses... Uh, I read one uh, commentator this week that it is James giving us a test. So if you think this book is a, a textbook book, he's giving you a test. And he calls you three different things. He will call you a hoarder. Some of you watch that TV show, right? Hoarders. Man, don't call me a hoarder. That's, that's an insult, right? He'll, he will call you a holder, as in you've been holding back or holding on to stuff that you should have let go of. Which seems to build on the hoarder concept. And then he calls us hogs, pigs. I mean, for a Jew, that's, that's, a, that's an insult upon insults. So bear that in mind, and let me quote my seminary preacher, Joel Gregory, who now is on staff at, uh, I think, the Truett Seminary at Baylor. Uh, his introduction to this set of verses says, when the airline captain comes on and says, brace yourself for impact, that would be a good way to introduce these six verses. Brace yourself for impact. So here we go. In modern vernacular, or it depends on where you grew up, Oi! Listen up! 
should have the chief saying, speak again. Good morning, First Baptist Church. Listen up, you rich people. Same introduction he gave in verse 13. He's been usually throughout this passage saying, listen, brothers, my beloved, my brothers. Now he's saying, listen up, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. And I thought about that this week. How many times have you ever touched a corroded battery and then that burns you a little bit? Corrosion will get on. Yeah. So, I, I mean, way before batteries were written, you know, designed and invented, here's James speaking to me even today. You have hoarded wealth. Well, let me back up. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. You've rearranged the chairs on the deck of the Titanic, in other words. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself. Somebody got King James. What does it say about your heart? You're nourished your heart. Pierce and I were just talking about that this morning. Doesn't your Pierce uses, uh, I always forget, T N E V Pierce, where are you? He's already asleep somewhere else. Okay. It says, does it say fattened your heart? Fatten your heart. Man. Once again, modern day stuff in biblical times that they're so smart. When you have heart problems, when you have let stuff build up in your heart and you need a bypass, you need some, you know, what I eat is, <clears throat> well, let's not go there just yet. You have, that's why I think the NIV, which I preach from, I think failed at this point. Fattened yourself. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Let's pray. Father, as we look at a passage that uh, it's so easy to say, I, I'm not wealthy, I'm not a millionaire, I don't have much money. It must be for somebody else that happened to be going to James's church that day. But Lord, each of us are beyond the level of wealth when, it when we consider how much grace, how much mercy, how much forgiveness, the gospel, the value of the gospel that has been entrusted to us. We are sitting in a room with very, very wealthy people. So speak to us in our physical wealth as well as our spiritual wealth today. And help us to look at the fact that we may have been hoarders, maybe we have held on, or perhaps even been hogs with our faith. Speak to us today, Lord, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is the first day that uh, we have gone optional on masks, and uh, we have emerged from a, or still emerging from a global pandemic. It brought fear. It brought bankruptcy. How many of you knew somebody that probably lost their job or their, their business or restaurant had to close? It brought separation and even death to, at least in our nation, over 500,000. I've heard now up to 600,000. But yet, in the midst of all that, the United States, if you look at the global uh, wealthiest nations, we are still in the top 10. We're about number seven. And now our average income for a family has even risen. The expectation for 2021 is that the average family 
will bring in $79,900 this year. Some of you are going, well, well, I'm not even average then. Well, some of you are above average. We may not feel wealthy, but when we compare ourselves, and that's what we do all the time, right, to the other, what, 7.9 billion people in the world, we are a very, very wealthy nation. We are a wealthy country. We are a wealthy state, wealthy city, and a wealthy church. And if you let me get personal about your portfolio of finance, and I know I've got professional investors in here. I've got people that can manage your money, people who can uh, give you advice on, on that. In fact, we, don't need a new, we need to know Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey ought to get started up in here again, so we need to get another financial piece. But if you'll let me talk to you about your spiritual wealth, as Christians, the grace, the forgiveness, the love and mercy that you have received is beyond measure. Yet just like money in the hands of a Christian that should be shared with others, the gospel in the heart of a Christian declares and mandates that it is shared and invested in others. So that is our title for today, that James is a faith that works, will invest in others. We begin with James calling us hoarders. Hoarders. Following this commanding tone to listen up or give me your ear, James tells his readers that they should weep and wail because that which they have elevated, their clothing, their food, those kind of things have rottened, rotted. Moths have destroyed. I bought Brenda a cashmere outer coat when, we were, when I was stationed in Korea, tailor-made, trying to make something tailor-made for a person who wasn't there. That's really hard. But, you know, if you go to any Korean shop, they can make you what you want. If you can just explain it to them or show them a picture. And they made this nice white cashmere overcoat. And while stationed in England, somehow, moths got to it in one of the closets. And now it has a nice line across the back <laughs> that was not built for it like that. But James is saying that if you leave that which you value unchecked, moths can reach it and destroy it. He says, even your gold and silver have corroded. Now, he knew that gold and silver do not rust. They don't, you know, gold doesn't rust. Pure silver doesn't rust. But those two metals represent something that he's emphasizing for us, that that which we place value in is temporary. Everything that you think on this earth is so valuable, you know, it, it's, it's temporary. And I know some of you say, well, Cliff, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I can take $100 out of the ATM and before the evening, it's all gone. You know, money is fleeting, right? Uh, those of you who have families, you know exactly what I'm talking. You might take 200 out, and next thing you know, you got nothing. You take 300 out, and you think you're really loaded, and, you know, you're back there again if you've got money left in the account. And it's amazing. You can't keep pulling it out. It stops after a while. But what does he mean here? He, it is, he means, I think, back to that title, that we are to be investing with our wealth. I'm sure if you go to the Dave Ramsey class or any, if Jay Fine would talk to you, investing your money is important because if you just put it in a jar, you know, in your bedroom, it's not going to grow very much, you know, and there is some risk in, in investment. We know that, but he is telling us, and there's nothing wrong with saving for the future, saving for retirement, but when you get up in the morning, do you check your financial score before you speak with the Lord? He's saying, what are you putting on top of the pedestal of your life? 
Is it finance or is it faith? James knew the words of his brother Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he calls us hoarders. Let me read that little section right there. Your wealth is rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last day. Have you hoarded the blessings that God has given you? If you are financially wealthy, you have been blessed. If you've got money in your bank account, that is a blessing. So what are you doing with that blessing? Are you hoarding it so you never have to worry about it? Or worry about anything? Or perhaps are you investing it in others? As believers, we are spiritually wealthy. We have been forgiven. We know God's love. We've tasted his mercy. We, we know what grace is. And we have this gigantic bank account of all those kind of words I just used. But if you don't do anything with it, it's like James said earlier. Show me a faith without works and I'll show you a dead faith. If you believe that you've experienced that, then you want to be sharing that with others. Have you shared the greatest gift that you've ever received with someone else? When was the last time you talked to someone about Jesus? Norris said today, he goes, this should be a really good sermon. You've been gone for about two weeks. You ought to really have a good one. I said, Norris, if you think all I was doing was sermon preparation for two weeks, you're going to be deeply disappointed. But I will tell you, about a week ago, I was in a, uh, I was in a combination liquor store tobacco shop because I knew somebody in our congregation that likes cigars. And to contribute to his vice, I thought I would buy a cigar from the island that I was on in Hawaii. Well, missed no opportunity for the Baptist preacher in the liquor store tobacco store. I started sharing the gospel with the man who checked me out. He did not accept what all I extended to him that day, but we parted with him saying, I may find my way back to church someday. Don't hoard the love that you have received. Don't hoard his forgiveness. I am very aware, as uh, Dennis uh, mentioned in his uh, offertory prayer, that today is the 77th anniversary of D-Day, where on that one day alone, over 4,000 Allied forces lost their lives in one day. Uh, the American count is somewhere around 2,200 uh, 2, uh, lives, American lives were lost that day. But I also read during these two weeks I was gone a, a wonderful illustration, Norse, that I wanted to bring in today, and that's how I'm going to tie it into. It was another battle, another American battle where Americans are fighting Americans. It's July the 1st through the 3rd at a little town in Pennsylvania called Gettysburg, where if you look at the number of death, at least 3,000 U.S. brothers, neighbors, took each other's lives. And the illustration from it that I carried away that I think is phenomenal, that over, I think, 50,000 were either wounded or hurt in those three days of battle. But after the battle, and I had to look this one up. Yes, I was, a history, I was a history major. I wasn't a very good history major, but I was a history major. And I always like to confirm things if I'm going to say it. Um, there were 27,400 
single-shot muskets recovered from that battle. 27,000 rifles recovered. Of the 27,000, 24,000 were still loaded. Of the 24,000, over 50% had been loaded twice. One poor man loaded his 23 times. That's the, that's the one for the history books. And what little I know on a musket load, and in fact, David, don't you do some smoke and powder type shooting guns when you pack those in there? David, don't, don't you know guys that do that, that type of shooting? I would think that rod that you jam in there would get shorter. If you've loaded it 23 times, you might have caught on. But for whatever reason, the chaos of battle, the, the noise, fear, I mean, it, if you know that battle, the lines went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And if they were overrunning us, the, probably the first thing, and I know a Marine would never do that. First thing this Air Force guy would have done is drop the weapon and run. Because I'm going to be faster running without a gun. So I'm sure that's one of the reasons. But obviously fear, confusion, chaos, all those kinds of things. And what I want to bring out to you today is that don't let fear, chaos, deaf ears for the needy confuse your hearts. Don't be a hoarder. Stop Hoarding the riches that God has given you. Pull the trigger of grace, love, and forgiveness. Second, holders. James calls us holders. Those of us that have been holding back. Nothing new here. Christians have been holding back for years. <clears throat> holding back their tithe. Holding back their time. Holding back the gospel. No wonder he goes from hoarders to holders. In verse 4, he says, let me read that for you. Look, the wages you have failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He says, you've been cheating, defrauding, and not providing what was the fair share to those people who work for you. Now, I know how, well, don't raise your hand, but there are some people in here, I'm sure, that have people that work for them. Or you supervise people. And I know you may not necessarily have control over what they make. You may have control over their bonuses. And we'll talk about a bonus in just a second. But going back, in fact, Norris does my sermon pre-brief. Dean was in there. You told, did you say 35 cents is what you first made an hour? 35 cents an hour? 50 cents an hour. Oh, okay. Young people graduating high, from high school, how would you like to make 50 cents an hour? Come to my house and go to work. For 50 cents an hour. Yeah. At least when I was in high school, I was $2, I think, and 10 cents an hour. Uh, Dean said his was like $1.70 or something like that. You know, just a couple years difference. You know, you could just see how it grows. Right now, and this is all thanks to the um, Labor Act of 1938, when they instituted that 25 cents was the minimum wage per hour. Back to 1938. And they also said that after 40 hours, this is all part of that the Congressional Act, after 40 hours, they have to give you overtime, time and a half or some, something above the, the hourly wage. And they also prevented minors from working at that time. So those of you who, who think, wow, well, why is there a minimum wage? What is the minimum wage today? Anybody know? Seven twenty-five, I believe. Is that, I guess each state can now even ex change that to a degree. But the federal, federal, seven, 25. 45, 725. Let's just say it's about seven bucks, okay? Because I know I can't hear and I'm, I'm, let me see what I have on my notes. I have 725. So <clears throat> here's what I did. In 1938, 
at 25 cents an hour, you could buy a brand new Chevrolet pickup truck. Notice I said Chevy, not a Ford, not a Nissan, not, you know. Chevrolet pickup truck for $592. And I pulled a picture up of a 1938 Chevy pickup truck, and it was blue, and I thought, man, I'd love to have that, but you can't. But anyway, at 25 cents an hour, assuming you never spent any of your money on anything else, and you never had any taxes withheld, it would take you 2,368 hours to earn enough to buy a new Chevy pickup truck, which would equivalent to one year and two months of solid working with no expenses to buy a new Chevy. At $7.25 an hour in 2021, and assuming you're buying the lowest modeled option Silverado, $29,300, according to the internet, it would take you 4,041 hours. Which, when you do all that math, it means it would take you one year, 11 months, if you never spent anything else to pay for that Chevrolet pickup. So we have lost at least nine months in keeping pace with what workers should receive. Those of you, of no matter what political party you are, you ought to be able to see we're not paying them what everything else costs. James says, pay your employees, don't hold back. We all want to work for a company that takes care of us, that gives us our due. In fact, we don't want to work for minimum wage. We want to work for what we really should have so we can buy the things we want. Do you remember chapter 1 in this book? He gives a woe to the rich. He says that wealthy people are like wildflowers. They're going to fade away. So do something with the wealth that you have now. Invest in others. Help others. Use the blessings that God has given you to bestow upon others. As one preacher once said, I have never seen a trailer hitch on a hearse pulling a U-Haul to the cemetery. Don't hold back. Don't hold out. Invest in others. Sometimes we might just be surprised when our employees get compensated like God wants to compensate us. I'm going to give you a little video clip, and, and it, it kind of puts a spin on it. Um, this is uh, the true story of uh, Aaron. I can never say her last name. I want to say Brodakovich, but Julia Roberts stars in the movie, and it's fairly accurate. Um, in it, uh, she is a non-legally trained legal clerk. Uh, she does not have a law degree, and uh, she's working at the time for $800 uh, a month, and she has helped her law firm... Um, when the biggest uh, lawsuit at that time, I think maybe still, it's like $333 million was the award. Uh, the, law, the law company got like $1 million, excuse me, uh, $130 million themselves, and she had agreed to a bonus way before they knew what it was going to be. So play that clip if you can. We're through this in person. You know, there's some things I want to show her, visual aids and documents and stuff. So... If you could just tell her I won't take up too much of her time. Right. Well, it's a little more complicated than Hinkley, so let me do that. Well, tell her I'm not a lawyer. That may help. Great. Why don't you just give me the address now, just, just in case? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Oh, what's up? I, uh, I have your bonus check. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, and now, uh, I want you to be prepared. 
His uh, figures not exactly what we discussed. Why not? Because after careful consideration, I felt that figure was not uh, appropriate. Although you may not agree, uh, you have to trust my uh, experience and trust? judgment. You want me to trust you? Do me a favor, Ed. Don't use big words you don't understand. <laughs> it's a complicated issue, Aaron. You know, I did a job. A you should reward me accordingly. It's not complicated. You know what? That is the problem. All you lawyers do is complicate situations that aren't complicated. Do you know why people think all lawyers are backstabbing, blood-sucking scumbags? Because they are. And you know, I cannot believe that you were doing this to me now when I'm up to my Kettleman plaintiffs, which, by the way, looks like it's going to be double the amount that we had in Hinckley. And you expect me to go out there, leave my kids to be looked after by strangers, knock on doors, get these people to trust you with their lives, and the whole time you're screwing me. I want you to know something, Ed. It is not about the number. It is about the way my work is valued in this firm. It's about how no matter what I do, you're not... Can you read that? True. As I was saying, um... I decided that uh, the figure you proposed was uh, inappropriate, so I increased it. Uh, do they teach beauty queens how to apologize? That's accurate. She received actually over $2 million. What if we started paying our employees, our, our workers, and I'm not talking about a church raise, please. I, that was not where this is going at all. Taking what we've been blessed with. I, I love the gospel illustration of saying, I've received such wonderful things from my Lord. Why don't I share that with someone else? And if you are in a business situation where you can help others do so because if you're a hoarder and a holder on to you probably also a hog now <clears throat> i know that joe Wynn used to ride a, a hog where'd joe go oh you yeah right that was a hog wasn't it yeah harley davidson's back to late 19 like 18 night somewhere in that pre pre-war one um their mascot at races were hogs, little pigs. So that's why Harley-Davidson's are called hogs. Now, some of us may think because they burn oil and you know, do all these other things and sound mean and, and loud, but that's, that's how they got that little uh, connection. But for a Christian, or anyone for that matter, to be called a hog is basically an insult. Stop hogging the shower. You ever heard that before? Stop hogging, I don't know, whatever else it is that you're that's in short demand and high, or sh short, what is that word? Short supply and, and high demand. Could it be that we have been hogs with our resources, both physical and spiritual? John Wesley taught a threefold approach to money and wealth. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And he would go on to say most Christians are pretty good at one and two. Two-thirds of the rule. Saving all you can, but not very good at giving all you can. Earning and saving, but not very good at giving. 
In fact, Wesley, as I read on him a little bit this week, he, um, he donated the majority of what his annual income was. He lived on approximately 20% of his annual income and donated the other 80%, gave it away to others. Charles Spurgeon, as you know, one of my Baptist favorites, said about this passage, It is a very serious thing to grow rich. Of all the temptations to which God's children are exposed, it is worst. It is the worst. Avoid the temptation. And I add, to be a hog. Verse 5, James says, You are living, or you have lived on earth in luxury. That Greek word for luxury is trufeo. The Greek word that we get in our modern English and romantic languages, truffle. Now, I've never eaten truffles, but of course Pierce has, because I asked him this morning. Do you know what a truffle is? Not a chocolate truffle that most of us may have experienced. A truffle is what? It is. It is a mushroom, basically, that's growing in the ground. It's not up, it's down. It has a tough skin on it. It is very, what is that fancy word? Aromatic? It smells. And it has some, I guess, great taste. There are black ones and white ones. And they even grow them commercially uh, in the United States, and they sell at $1,000 a pound. Pierce said he just had a small slice. But the crazy thing is you start doing these word researches. They use pigs to find them because pigs have a, such a great nose. And how many times have we been good at rooting out and snorting out what's good for us but never for anybody else? You have lived in luxury, he says. This word is likened to delicacy. The easy life, pampering yourself, only the best, best will do. Self-indulgence is the opposite of living simply so that others can simply live. It's linked to the excess of eating and drinking, even the worship of food. In the United States in 2020, the COVID year, 21.5 million cookbooks were sold. Most of them telling you how to lose weight. Eight hundred and fifteen million chronically malnourished people will go to bed hungry tonight. Last year, seven million people starved to death. While in the U.S., over fifty percent—it's anywhere between fifty-three, fifty-four percent—of our dogs and cats are overweight. And this one really hurts. 69% of our country is either overweight or obese. Yes, I would be in that category as well. James diagnoses the fatness of our hearts. In the Greek, it is the word cardia. Cardio, we get that from. What is the number one killer today? Not COVID. It's heart disease heart disease. That's the number one killer in our church. 
heart disease. Hogging the gospel. Holding on to that which we received and not sharing it with others. Hoarding up our treasure. Our churches are dying because of that disease. And then, if that's not enough, he's called us hog. He calls us basically a murderers. And I didn't use that as a first, fourth point, but look at that. He says, you have fattened yourself in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Call me a hog, I can relate, but call me a murderer. Have I failed then, when I think on this passage, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to protect the innocent, to evangelize my brother? When I think in that context, perhaps there is blood on my hands. Test yourself on this passage today and stop hoarding. Stop holding and stop hogging and invest in others. Stand with me, please, as we pray. Our fathers, we come now to a time of invitation. If there be one here today who's never accepted the love of Jesus, the forgiveness that only he can provide, the eternal life that can only be received through faith in Christ Jesus, Lord, I pray this would be the day. Maybe there's someone who just wants to come to these steps and pray and, and say, I've been a hoarder, I've been a hog, I've been holding on to things that I shouldn't. And Lord, I want to turn it all over for your use. Lord, this is our prayer. Let your Holy Spirit rain down upon us, for I ask it all in Christ's name.